Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf-Horsch. I'm the Executive Director of the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions, or the IAIABC. You're listening to the IAIABC's podcast, Accidentally, where we discuss issues and events impacting workers' compensation programs. During Accidentally, I hope to ask thought-provoking questions, to raise awareness about important issues, and to offer insights on workers' compensation. I hope that this makes you think about workers' comp in a different way. You can subscribe to our monthly podcasts on iTunes or find them at iaiabc.org podcast. Last year, my son had surgery. It was major surgery to remove a portion of his kidney that had never functioned. He was six. It was traumatic. Probably more for me than him. After the almost seven hour procedure, they prescribed morphine. And I was scared and conflicted. As a mother, I was seeing my child in pain. However, for the last eight years, I had been exposed professionally to the dangers and severe consequences of opioid use. The night after his surgery, I never asked the nurse for the follow-up round of morphine. The next morning was rough. My son woke up in tremendous pain He was in distress. My son's face was definitely the grimace that you see on the number 10 on the pain scale. The surgeon came in that morning and was very upset that his pain wasn't being treated. She talked with me and explained not treating the pain was going to lengthen his recovery. And if the pain continued, He couldn't restart daily activities, starting with sitting up, going to the bathroom, and eventually walking. The next day, they kept up with his morphine, and by the evening, he was getting back to the goofy six-year-old I knew. By the third day after surgery, he was up and bouncing balls in the playroom. Despite his quick recovery, They sent me home with oxycodone. Having oxy in the house made me nervous. And after three days, I took it to the local police station for proper disposal. When I reflect back on that time, I'm disappointed in how little I discussed pain management with the surgeon. I knew all the specifics of the robotic assisted surgery but we didn't talk much about what would happen afterwards. I should have asked more questions, especially since opioids and pain were so frequently a topic at work. I learned a lot during that time. My son is one resilient little boy. Motherhood is sometimes about putting on a brave face. And the coffee shop is not nearly close enough to the children's wing. But I also learned 
that despite an academic understanding of opioids, I wasn't comfortable or prepared to have a conversation about the use of opioids in my son's recovery. It's a lesson that stays with me today. It's also a lesson that I think illustrates the complex relationship Americans have with pain and opioids. And this relationship isn't anything new. The increased use of opioids in the treatment of pain beyond acute and end of life respite began in the 1990s and reached crisis levels in the 2000s. The Center for Disease Control reported in 2016, male life expectancy in the United States dropped for the second year in a row. And that trend was attributed to overdose deaths, many of those overdoses from opioids and illicit drugs like heroin. In fact, overdose is now the leading cause of death for Americans under the age of 50. And to make us feel even worse, this is a uniquely American problem. A European colleague shared the U.S. opioid crisis was recently headline news in Germany. Only 8,500 individuals died in the European Union from overdose deaths in 2016. This is compared to 64,000 overdose deaths in the United States that same year. And I just want to point out the EU population is 42% greater than the US population. We should all be alarmed, outraged, and we should all be taking action. However, my fear is that within the workers' compensation community, the enthusiasm for addressing this epidemic has waned. And I understand, I get it. We've been talking about opioids for a really long time. For more than a decade, workers' compensation has been implementing solutions to decrease the use of inappropriate opioids by injured workers. The good news is that some of those solutions are having an impact. A recent survey by Comp Pharma of prescription drug management in workers' compensation reported that the dollars for opioid scripts was down a third over the last two years. In addition, NCCI reported there's been a 32% decline in the utilization of opioids from 2012 to 2016. This decline is primarily driven by new claims. This means that opioids are being prescribed less to newly injured workers. It seems likely that the implementation of treatment guidelines and formularies within workers' compensation, along with other statewide initiatives like mandatory prescription drug monitoring programs, have been effective in reducing the number of new injured workers that are being prescribed opioids, especially the use of opioids in the treatment of chronic pain. 
But this good news masks a serious problem, one which is more challenging to address. The fact remains there are still injured workers who are dependent or addicted to opioids, or even worse, they're addicted to illicit drugs like heroin. And the workers' compensation system has more work to do in getting these injured workers off opioids. There is still a percentage of workers' compensation patients that have moderate to heavy opioid use, and these individuals are at risk. Beyond likely being dependent on opioids, these individuals may have other medical complications that result from heavy opioid usage. These individuals may not be able to return to pre-injury employment. These individuals may have professional and personal relationships that have suffered. And these individuals are certainly at risk of overdose. There is a very delicate balance to be considered when implementing policies that decrease opioid use. Weaning a patient who has been on opioids for a period of time is challenging. You are breaking a physical and chemical dependency. But you also must address the underlying psychosocial issues, mental, social, economic factors that are going to be key to long-term recovery. This isn't easy. This isn't cheap. However, this is essential. Workers' compensation needs to be re-energized to address these claims and to identify both policy and practice that supports long-term solutions for injured workers who are on long-term opioid use. Without a focus on these claims, workers will remain on opioids, putting themselves and their families at long-term economic risk, or even worse, death. The hard work has really just begun. So what does this work look like? The first step is really understanding the extent of the problem. Ask yourself the question, how many injured workers is my organization responsible for that are on long-term opioid therapy? If you don't have the data, find it. Measuring the problem will compel action. It will inform the magnitude of your response, and it will be an important starting point for measuring the effectiveness of solutions. The second step is accepting opioid dependence and addiction and recovery is not merely a physical or purely medical problem. Recognizing the bio, but also accepting the psychosocial components is key to successful treatment. This means accepting the patient as they are and not being afraid of non-medical tools that may be beneficial. One area that is still controversial in workers' compensation is the use of cognitive behavioral therapy, often referred to as CBT. 
There is still a fear that engaging mental health professionals will open the door to psychological issues and psychological claims. However, there are ways to implement mental health services that address opioid dependency and addiction without committing to long-term psychological treatment. A possible third step is to identify ways that improve access to medication-assisted treatment. These are often referred to as MAT programs. MAT programs use FDA-approved drugs, methadone, naltrexone, and buprenorphine to manage withdrawal symptoms and psychological cravings from opioid weaning. Improving access to these programs may involve identifying high-quality centers with openings, redesigning the authorization process, and accepting the short-term treatment cost may be more expensive than the opioid scripts, but will result in better outcomes for the patient. The fourth step is having a long-term recovery strategy in place. The recidivism rate for those struggling with addiction can be high, and it's important to consider the long-term support options for injured workers who go through a treatment program. Having supports for the mental and social factors, counseling, employment, social workers, community engagement, are all important for sustained recovery. These steps are by no means comprehensive, and each stakeholder is likely to have different abilities and tools to address the issue of long-term chronic opioid use. However, everyone in the industry has a role to play in addressing these cases. Just because workers' compensation has reduced opioid use in some cases does not mean all is well. The industry needs to refocus its efforts to identify and promote recovery for those injured workers who are opioid dependent or addicted. It is our responsibility. This is where the really hard work begins. I'm confident the industry is up for the task, but it will take grit, determination, creativity, and yes, money. But the alternative, wrecked lives, is far too great. I want to thank you for listening to Accidentally the IAIABC's monthly podcast series. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or listen at iaiabc.org slash podcast. I like to hear from you. You can reach out via social media or email me at jwolf at iaiabc.org. Cheers, Jennifer. Thank you.